KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, your source for classical music here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, your hometown radio station from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy, as we have the privilege of taking you back in time for this next hour, right here in our very own Little Concert Hall. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturge. Normally, I'll have one or two co-hosts on, but tonight, you know, we decided to give everyone the night off. We've got a month left in the semester, and it's crunch time, and so sometimes you just need a night off from your daily routine of things to get things back together and back in order. So a couple of things in the way of local announcements before we get underway tonight. For those alumni or friends of the university who will be coming up next week for the rededication of the chapel, the Munger-Wilson Memorial Chapel and Wilson Memorial Plaza will be dedicated and rededicated next weekend here at the University of the Ozarks. That'll be April 16th, and that'll happen at 11 in the morning here at the University of the Ozarks. The event is free, and we encourage anyone who's able to come out and celebrate with us in this festive event. We'll have alumni speakers, past reverends and friends of the university. Uh, The chamber singers will, of course, be performing at this event, and there will be a ribbon cutting for the plaza. We invite everyone to come out who's able, and if you aren't, we will be live streaming the event on the KUOZ live stream. So if you go to www.livestream.com forward slash KUOZ, you should be able to see here sometime within the next week where we'll have that set up to live cast for you. Again, that'll be happening April 16th at 11 in the morning here at the University of the Ozarks, and the event is free. For more information or to reserve your spot, because it will be a very crowded event, call 479-979-1000 and ask for the Office of Advancement here at the University of the Ozarks. Again, that's 479-979-1000 at the Office of Advancement here at the University of the Ozarks. Well, to, con- to get back into the show, from the concert hall tonight, we'll be continuing on our topic of breaking down the orchestra, and tonight's component was so big, we needed to have two shows to really discuss more of what it is and what it does, and that component in the orchestra is the piano, or really the keyboard in general, not just the piano. When we think of the orchestra, typically... Piano is the keyboard that comes to mind. If not the piano, then the celeste, the organ, or the harpsichord. But for the sake of radio and the common knowledge of the people, we're going to be going with the piano, and that's going to be our primary keyboard focus. Of course, we'll touch some on the other instruments here in the orchestra, but primarily piano. 
and tonight's focus, we're, we're going to finish our discussion on the piano. If you were with us last week or you've listened to any of the replays on iTunes or SoundCloud or through the week here from the concert hall, you will have heard our previous discussion over the piano where we went over a couple pieces by Mozart, some Batakovsky, Liszt, Schumann, and if I believe even Rachmaninoff. But tonight we're going to have a good lineup. We're going to be touching some more on some solo piano works. We're going to look back at the Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 1 because it was such a well-received piece. We'll look at some Leonard Bernstein and, of course, look at some Beethoven and some Litz still. We might even bring back some Mozart if we're good. And, of course, we will have Chopin. Actually, first up tonight is Chopin on our list of things to look at. So our first piece up tonight is Frédéric Chopin's Etude Opus 10, Number 3. A lot of times in classical music, and just to point out, this is a solo piano work. What this is, what an etude is, we see this word a lot when we look at music. And etudes can be a very challenging piece, and this is what they're designed to be. Etude is a German-Italian word for study. So it's a st- this is one of Chopin's studies. Back at this time when Chopin and Beethoven and Bach and all these famous composers were composing, you didn't have the Alfred's Beginner Guide to the Piano or the Hall Leonard Piano Accompaniment Edition for the Beginner Pianist and books like this. These composers had to write these etudes or these studies for their students. Some of the famous ones would be the Virtuoso Pianist. Uh, that's what would commonly be known as the Yellow Book of Piano. It's got all of these amazingly challenging skills and technical exercises to train the pianist's hands. But also famous are these etudes by Chopin and Mozart. Now this is just one of them. So this would have been a study that Chopin, in this case, would have written for his student. Now a couple other examples of this. Bach was very famous for what we call Anna Magdalena's Notebook. This was the same thing, only in Bach's case, it was for his wife. It was a complete set of studies for um, what was called, what was the clavichord. So it's similar to the piano and how the tone is produced, but not the same. If we look back at keyboard history, we see the harpsichord. Then we also see the clavichord, the virginal, the organ. Later on, the piano, well, the piano forte, and then the piano. But... A clavichord is very similar to a piano. It looks like a little wooden box. And it's got strings that are strung long ways. So they would be perpendicular to the person seated. And a little metal bead or ball would pluck up and hit the string. It was a very quiet instrument. But it's also very expressive. One of the interesting things you could do with a clavichord. When you play the note, you could wiggle your finger on the key. And that metal ball would wiggle on the string, and you could create almost a vibrato in sense for the instrument. So Bach was very well noted for the works he wrote for the clavichord or the clavibuchlein for his wife, so that she could become a better keyboardist. These become very famous today. But Chopin very much so wrote for the modern piano. He, Chopin was a pianist through and through. Bach in his time, the piano, it was, it had its early stages. 
at the later point in Bach's life, historians believe there could have been the early forms of piano as we see the piano come in about the late 17th, early 18th centuries. But, I'm sorry, early, late 16th, early 17th centuries. Let me correct myself there. So we would have seen a very primitive form of the piano or, or the piano forte in this case, or the forte piano in this case, but not the modern piano we know now. At the time, the knuckles would, not the knuckles, the hammers would have been wrapped in leather. They wouldn't have been the felt we have today. You wouldn't have as many strings. The strings would have been a different material instead of steel. You would have had iron and things like this. These little things that all go into affecting the tone of the piano and help make the piano what it is today. I mean, this was the... When when inventing, we have to remember, you know, Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day. You didn't get <laughs> the... Um, we didn't get the computer overnight. It was a lot of trial and error. You know, we went from... I'm using the computer as an example here, but we went from having a machine that would take up several rooms to something that now fits in the palm of our hand. I mean, the piano can be looked at in the same way, not necessarily in the sense of size, but in the sense of technological advancement and tone production for the piano. But this was an etude by Chopin. Of course, it was from his 10th work, opus meaning work, and so this would have been his tenth set of etudes and the third in that set. So what that means is etude, this etude was actually a set. Most things were a set. So we can think of a set similar to a symphony. Like earlier times in classical music, you would have seen symphony one. Later, we started calling them opuses. So work numbers. It was how we became, this is how we can recognize something in music. It's very similar to a serial number. Bach we're very famous for noting how Bach did his. If you ever see the letters BWV, that means Bach work. So a work by Johann Sebastian Bach. But here we see Chopin's Opus 10, number 3. So this would have been his 10th set here and his third work in that set. That's part of the 10 here. But this is a solo piano piece used to teach pianist. We can assume this is for the time an intermediate to early advanced pianist. I mean, this wouldn't have been your five-year-old first day at the piano's work. This is a piece that's meant to challenge the performer in every aspect, in finger independence, in expression, in phrasing. Every little thing that goes into making music would have been challenged in these etudes and are very much so still today. This is why these are still staple pieces for college repertoire and er and late pianist repertoire for learning the piano. It's These are challenging works that are made to make the performer the best they can be and really make them think about what they're playing. So without further ado, here we have Etude Number no. 10, Number 3 by Frédéric Chopin as performed by Boris Berzakovsky on a Steinway Model D piano. A special note for our show, every performance on piano heard for From the Concert Hall is performed on a Steinway piano. While we work to bring you some of the best in today's artists, we also want those artists to be performing on some of the best instruments they can. The better facilities we have, the better music can, that can be made. So here it is, Frédéric Chopin's Opus 10, Number 3, as performed by Boris Berzkovsky.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturge. If you're just joining us, welcome. Tonight we are discussing the piano and its role in music and the orchestra as part of our Breaking Down the Orchestra series this season here on From the Concert Hall. If you've been with us, I hope you just enjoyed Chopin's Etude from Opus 10, number 3. Now, I'll reiterate again, an etude is a set of studies similar to a piano studies book today. But it was the earlier form of this. It was works meant to challenge the performer. If you were listening to this piece, you would have heard pieces, well, parts in the piece that were very legato, parts that were staccato and very abrupt. Legato meaning, of course, very connected and fluid. You would have heard parts that were very, very loud, very forte or fortissimo and quiet that were piano. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny we use the word piano for soft, but the piano's actual name is pianoforte, which from from Italian would translate to uh, a soft loud. (laughs) But if you were listening, the piece was very expressive and really forced the performer to think. Now, these would have been pieces to train the pianist to prepare them for what came next. And what came next aside from solo piano work, would have been pianist work with in a concerto, performing with an orchestra. Up, our next piece up tonight is the Piano Concerto Number no. 1 by Tchaikovsky. You know, Tchaikovsky, of course, is famous for the Nutcracker. Those of you who Christmas have heard him, the very famous, very, very famous uh, work. It's very beautiful. Now, in that work... Interestingly enough, we have German forms of, um, trying to think of the correct phrase here. We use it all the time. Um, Oh, goodness, the word's escaping my mind right now. But we see different instruments represent the different characters in the performance. In this case, the celeste, which is what Tchaikovsky chose to use in this case, represented the sugar plum fairies. Uh, it was actually it was one of the first uses of celeste ever within orchestra, so it was very re- revolutionary. And this being performed in France at the time, this was the first time the celeste had ever been used there either. So it was just a series of firsts. Light motif is the word I was looking for. <laughs> so this was a form of light motif in which the instrument was used instead of a theme to represent a character. While each character did have their own theme or light motif, the theme was always played by this instrument. So you, it was a way for the audience, the listener, to connect. If we heard this sound or this tone, this little theme, especially on top of that being played by a particular instrument, we knew what, who was coming in, what was happening, especially depending on how that was being played at the time. And Tchaikovsky, in that case, played very well off of this. You only ever heard the instruments for the characters on stage being used at any one time in the piece when they were on stage. But next up tonight is the piano concerto number one by Tchaikovsky. 
a concerto, for those who don't know, is similar to a symphony and that it's a big orchestral work, but it has many concerti within it where a particular instrument is brought out as a soloist or someone who's supposed to play above the orchestra to accent that particular part in a piece. It can be the same theme over and over again, or it can be different themes at different times. It all depended on the particular concerto. But the first concerto up tonight of two we have is Piano Concerto Number 1 by Tchaikovsky. There's not much more explanation that can be given on a concerto, at least in this setting, other than having you listen to it. So hopefully you will enjoy this concerto. It's one of my favorites. Hopefully it will become one of yours too. But we'll talk about it here again in a bit when we get back from listening to the Piano Concerto Number 1 by Tchaikovsky. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturch. If you're just joining us, thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we're discussing the piano as part of our Breaking Down the Orchestra series here on From the Concert Hall. It's our season-long topic, and in it, we're looking at the different instruments and parts and things that make up the orchestra, and really kind of what it takes to bring one all together. Last week, we started the discussion on the piano, and this week, we're kind of finishing it up. Tonight, so far, we've looked at a Chopin etude and the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number 1. Now, we're going to look at one more piano concerto tonight. Another wonderful concerto, this one by Dmitry Shostakovich. It's Piano Concerto Number 2, <laughs> the movement Andante from it. Now, whenever I'm naming off like Piano Concerto Number 1 or Piano Concerto Number 2, each piano concerto is not sequential based off of other people's works. This was, before it was Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. This happens to be, this next piece happens to be Shostakovich's second piano concerto that he had written. So they were sequential for the composer, but not every concerto out there, if that makes sense to the listener. Now, whenever I say concerto, I'll, I'll reiterate again. Concerto can be a hard thing to grasp. Really, it can be. And it takes some people a long time. Myself, for example, it took me a little bit to really understand what a concerto was until I sat through a few of them and really got it under my skin and had a couple of lessons in music history before I got this one. You know, of course, one of the first concertos we ever saw, or really the first, was by Vivaldi, which was the Four Seasons. But a concerto is a work in which a particular instrument or group of instruments has this accentuated solo part. It can be a particular melody, or it can be just different each time. Now, in these piano concertos, of course, the instrument being accentuated is the piano. So in the Tchaikovsky piano concerto, we heard, you know, these wonderful bits where we had string and brass, then all of a sudden, the piano just boomed in over everything and played these huge chords, and it was just luscious and wonderful and it just gave you this sense of warmth and it kind of reminds me of dancing in a circle almost listening to that piece just getting lost in the music I feel like piano concerto number one is easy to do that with now hopefully you'll feel the same way for piano concerto number two by Dmitry Shostakovich like piano concerto number one the instrument being accentuated here is the piano you know, there are some concerto or concerti where we have more than one instrument accentuated at a time. Sometimes we have concertos for clarinets and cellos or a concerto for organ or uh, pieces similar to that. But in this case, it's only the piano really being accentuated. And in concerto, it really can be hard to pick out what part really is being, what part really is the concerto. The best way to figure that out, when you're listening, you can hear this grand bit by the orchestra, but there'll come a point where the orchestra backs off or stops completely, and you only hear one instrument. 
that's how you know what instrument's being accentuated in that concerto or at that time in the concerto. Sometimes the orchestra will drop out completely. Other times it just becomes very silent in the background. And it's not always switching between, oh, we're at one concerto, now we're at another, another, and another. It's not one solo after the other. The orchestra throughout a concerto or the ensemble will have a set theme they keep replaying over and over again, depending on where they're at in the movement. And so you'll hear this theme, and then the solo, the solo concerto part there. Then you'll hear the theme again, maybe a variation on that theme, but it'll be some form of the same theme. Sometimes we'll even have the solo, the solo instrument or instruments there playing that theme. But our next piece up, again, I'll say, is the Pino Concerto number 2, the Andante movement from that. Uh, another point I want to make here is that whenever I say Piano Concerto number 1 or 2, I'm not, what you're listening to isn't the whole work. These works can be 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes long. You're just hearing a small section from the piece. The Piano Concerto 1 I played by Tchaikovsky, that wasn't the whole concerto, that was just one movement from the concerto probably the most famous part of that concerto. But this concerto number two by Shostakovich, we're hearing the Andante movement from it. You know, each movement is varies in length, and really the best way to know when you've changed movements is there'll be a change in theme or a change in tempo, or normally both, really. And normally the composer ideally would have marked that you've changed movements. But, before I babble much longer... Here we have Piano Concerto Number 2, the Andante, with the pianist here being Elizabeth Linsoja and Hugh Wolf conducting the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturch. If you're just joining us, thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you're going to enjoy the rest of the show and stick with us as we finish up here in the next 20 minutes. Tonight, we are talking about the piano and its role in the orchestra as part of our Breaking Down the Orchestra series here on From the Concert Hall. Tonight on the show, we have heard some music by Chopin, some by Tchaikovsky, and now Shostakovich. What you just heard was piano concerto number two, the Andante movement. The pianist there was Elizabeth Linsojak, and the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra accompanied her as conducted by Hugh Wolfe. Now, we've talked about concerto, we've talked about solo piano work, so let's talk back some more on some solo piano work and different types of solo piano work, and some even that made it here to America and became quite famous. The next type of solo piano work would be what I would call art songs, or what would later turn into the theatrical songs we know today. Probably one of the best known and best loved of these is Liebestram by Franz Liszt. Now, whenever I say that, most people don't think about knowing that one. But in listening to it, you would know that you have indeed most likely heard it if you've ever listened to classical music, or if you've ever listened to the music in the back of some love movies, or any kind of movie that used classical music and piano. It was, it's a very famous song, and it's a song about love. In it, Franz Liszt expresses his love for his life and of life itself. It's a very beautiful song, and it just has some overwhelmingly beautiful chords and condenses in it that just almost send a shiver up your spine listening to it, where you can really feel the emotion that's put into this piece. You know, it has some very big parts that are very, very typical of Litz, and some that are just really minute and quiet. And it's, it really, it's just a wonderful piece. When you listen to this piece, it's best to just feel. Not necessarily just to listen, but to try to feel. Try to feel the emotion that the composer here is trying to convey. So, before I talk too much and take up too much of the time about it, let's listen to Liebestram by Franz Liszt. And as you listen... Try to feel what the composer is feeling and follow the piece with your heart and see if you can find what the composer was trying to convey. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturch, as we continue our look at the piano and our series Breaking Down the Orchestra. You just heard Liebestram by Franz Liszt. Liebestram is from a set of three works for piano, and it talks about love and what the Germans at the time thought would be the ideal of love. It's more of an art song, and the purpose of it is to feel and let the emotion in the piece pull you. Now, the pianist there was Anne Quirpec. Now, transitioning from these art songs, we get the later versions of them, which became famous in America, also meant to pull on emotion, but also play off of what was happening on stage. It's almost a mix of the operatic and the art all at the same time in the form of song we're looking at here. Now, in this case, we have Somewhere, from West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein. It's not a very long piece, and in it we have piano and percussion. Here we have <coughs> Gunther and Sur uh, now both the piano, and Peter Sadio at percussion. So we're going to have four hands here at the piano and a percussionist. So it's going to be interesting, and we're going to, s- we're going to hear that four-handed piano that's kind of making a comeback here as we get into the t- uh, this 21st century. Classical music is making it com- its comeback, and so is some of the different facets within it. One of the more interesting of which is four-handed piano or collaborative works. One of the most famous groups performing out right now for piano is the Five Browns. It's, I mean, that's ten hands for piano. Of course, they're on five different pianos, but they're a very famous line of Steinway artists that has really hit the stage here in the last couple of years it's a group, uh, it's a family of brothers and sisters, all of which went to Juilliard and all played and studied piano and did quite well, actually, and they're a wonderful set of performers. You can look for them on YouTube or on iTunes or Amazon. I, I highly recommend listening to some of their works. I mean, the artistry in their performances is just unsurpassed, really. Now, for those of you who don't know, West Side Story is an American take on Romeo and Juliet. In it, you've got two rival gangs and a love story that grows up between them. No, I say gangs. It's been a long time since I've seen West Side Story, so some of this I wouldn't completely quote me on. <laughs> but it's a musical by Bernstein, one of the one of the later Bernstein musicals. But it plays off of that love story, loving someone you can't have, you're not supposed to be with. And in the end, like Romeo and Juliet, it, it doesn't end that well. But that's part of what makes it so lasting. It really just is a beautiful, beautiful love story. And this piece here, Somewhere, was one of the sung pieces from West Side Story. But here we just hear it as a four-handed piano piece with percussion. And really it works well either way. You can still feel the emotion within it. And you can almost get a sense of what is happening in this performance based off of what we're hearing. And really, it's just a wonderful, wonderful piece. 
well, I say piece. Really, it's a song. In music, there's a very interesting distinction for how you classify things. A song has words. A piece does not. So if, if someone ever says they're listening to a wonderful piece of music, that music doesn't have any words to it. But if they say they're listening to a great song, it's music with words. And so next time you're having a musical conversation with your friends, I encourage you to make sure you use the proper use of piece or song. <laughs> but here we have a song that was turned into a piece in this particular performance that is just a beautiful rendition of this somewhere from the West Side Story. So, here we have Somewhere from West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein as performed, <coughs> excuse me, as performed by Gunther and Sure Pekinal on the piano, so four-handed piano, and Peter Sadio at percussion. Enjoy. KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. 
I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturch. And if you've been with us for the last hour, thank you for sticking with us. I hope you've enjoyed the show and learned a bit more about the piano and its place in the orchestra as we finish up talking about the piano and its and its kind of role in music in the orchestra and our lives today. If you're just joining us, I'm sorry we've reached the end of our show, but you can always catch this show and all of the others later in the week here on KUSD 100.5 FM or on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching from the concert hall. We podcast all of our episodes, and they're always available for free download and listening for your pleasure. Feel free to find us on there, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. Drop us a line, tell us what you think, and let us get back with you. We'd love to have your input on the show and what you might like to see, especially as we plan season four from the concert hall for next year in the fall. Now, to play us out into the night and end our topic of the piano, probably one of the most famous pieces in the piano literature, one of the most famous pieces of piano literature out there, we have the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. It's a wonderful piece. It's a piece that everyone knows and loves, whether they know whether they like classical music or not. They know it. So here it is, the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. And this particular instance, we have the performance here by Rudolf Buchbinder on the piano. Enjoy and have a wonderful rest of your night and day. Thank you. This has been another episode of From the Concert Hall. <laughs>